Marina Tefano. Kind of happy that the mic doesn't actually go on while I'm singing. For your benefit, more than mine, I'm quite happy with my own voice. Um, don't want to subject you all to that, though. Um, we're continuing uh, week two now into Haggai. And uh, last week we opened up uh, just unpacking what was going on in the world at the time of Haggai. That the Israelites had become two nations, Israel to the north, Jews to the south, Judah. The Israelites in the north disappeared, Judah down the south remains, but then they get taken up, uh, destroyed by Babylon, taken into captivity. And now they're finally back home in Jerusalem and they've spent all this time back home building up their own houses and doing their own things. And then God's just kind of tapping on the door going, hey, what about my house? And that's where we left it last week. And this week, we're going to unpack it a little bit more. We heard last week when God challenged them to say, hey, you know, your paneled homes look great, but you haven't built my house. And we see this side of God in inverted commas, his actual words, apparently, saying that he takes pleasure in having a house of his own. He takes pleasure in being honoured in that space and place. And he challenges his people. You take a lot of time to do your own thing, but not much time for me. So with that done, the people get convicted. They're like, you're right, God, let's get back to it. Let's focus on what's for real. They're convicted, they go and they start building. And so here we are in chapter two. Haggai chapter two, in the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai speaking to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, he asked them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it, seem not, uh, does it not seem to you like nothing? So God is saying, okay, they've, they're basically starting to lay down the foundations of the new temple, God's house, and God comes up with this word. Now, it's a little, there's a little irony in here what he's saying. He's not actually particularly interested in how big or small this place is, but he's actually definitely more interested in where their hearts are at. You see, while this is happening, while he says this, the people are having a bit of a debate in the background. There are some people that are really excited that they're building God's temple again, but those who remember the temple the way it was are unhappy. Why? Because it's not big enough. We go to the book of Ezra, there's an unpacking of this. Ezra uh, chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people had made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. So there's a little bit of a mess going on here. Who's ever been in a church during a building project? Who knows this mess? <laughs> I've, I've been part of a number of them. The biggest one was, uh, oh, 2004, I think it was. So it's 20, oh my goodness, 20 odd years ago. Parkside built a new facility. We were meeting in a quite a small facility. We outgrew it. And so we bowled it down and built this big building. At the time, in southwest Sydney, $2.5 million place. And you wouldn't believe the fights and the arguments uh, that were going on. We had 
committees for every part of the building. And it started with the carpet committee who just couldn't make a decision to the painting committee that couldn't choose the paint. So the senior pastor at the time, I was his associate, he just said, that's it, committee's gone, I'm making all the calls. Um, It was just, you know, it's kind of like that. Some people wishing for the way it was before, others wanting something brand new and different. And at this point in the history of the Jews, they're kind of getting to a point where actually those who remember what it was like are sad. They're upset. But Ecclesiastes says this, don't say why were the old days better than these, for it is not wise to ask these questions. But this is something we Christians are really good at. Before being a senior pastor, before being an associate pastor, I was a youth pastor. And every, well, couple of churches I worked in, it was inevitable to hear someone tell me, oh, those days, there were so many youth. We were such a large youth group. Anyone heard that? My unfortunate step from youth pastor was going into an associate role, which meant leading worship, and you can't believe the changes that people couldn't handle at that level. We used to, we were, we need to get back to, things were done like this, the good old days. You know, it was just interesting, Franklin Graham coming to New Zealand, and the amount of people that told me, I remember when his dad came, we had revival in this land, and now that his son's coming, we'll have revival again. And I'm like, Really? Is that how it works? Because if that's the case, we'll just keep doing the same thing over and over, right? Our youth group was large in the 1980s, and we spent the next 50 years trying to replicate what we did back then. I'm not sure that's working for the church. I don't think that even works for us on a, on a personal level. I used to run 400 metres without stopping. I do that now, I'll stop and there'll be an ambulance there to pick me up. Right? Yeah, we used to. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we might. We don't need to really get back to that. I'd love to, but there's no way I can get back to that. And there's no way we can get back to that. They were the good old days, but that doesn't mean today is not a good day as well. And this is the challenge the Jews are faced with. A lot has changed for them and a lot out of their control. A lot has changed. Their city has changed. Them as a people have changed. The young guys, all the young people, they've got these weird haircuts now and, you know, they've got these Babylonian styles going on, coming up with these new tablets. Clay tablets, that is, not the... Babylonian clay tablets, you know, what are you doing with that? You know, all these things. And you can imagine these older Jews just getting frustrated that, you know, all these, all these changes, what's going on? I'm going to use this verse, and it's going to be confronting because, yeah, it is. But this is from Proverbs chapter 16. And, you know, God, when he says these things, I think we ignore a lot of this because when it comes to us Christians, we like to focus on certain stuff. But there are real things that Jesus, God, hates. 
but we don't seem to take them very seriously in our community. We take other things very seriously. Here is this, six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies. The old King James Version says, the gossiper, by the way, for that second last line. And lastly, a person who sows discord in the community. Now, what does he mean by discord? Because when you read different versions of the Bible, you'll get different words. Contends, conflicts. This word sows discord. Think about it. I don't like the Sunday school program. I'm giving you examples of people who have left our church and these are the reasons they've given me. I don't like the Sunday school program. Music is repetitive and lifeless. Same old songs every week, they tell me. I don't worship God through music. The walls are too dark. I'm glad they weren't in the first century in catacombs then, huh? Next to dead people. God bless our times. These are some of the excuses that I've gotten. They so discord. Look at that. Do you want to devalue what the music team does every Sunday? Tell it to them faces. Don't tell me. It'd be very different if you had to tell it. Go tell Wendy or anyone running Sunday school this morning. I just don't like it. What are you going to do about it? The walls are too dark. You want to paint them for me? You could stick a hole in the roof if you want. This is your building just as mine as it is all of us. These things actually sow discord. They discourage. They make you feel kind of devalued. Now, that's not to say that maybe we need to add a bit of spice to the Sunday school program. Or maybe rather than just one hour on the electric guitar, we need three hours on the electric guitar because it's awesome. And maybe four drummers. Because he's awesome. I'm not saying that we can't help encourage to each other to improve, to do better. But most of the times we sow discord. And when we look at the things that were done so great in the past, you're devaluing what we're trying to do today. You may not think that way, but that's what actually is being said. The good old days will always be the good old days. But that doesn't mean today are the bad new days. We don't devalue them. And God in this instance is not really particularly interested about the size of his space. He just wants his space. But he knows the heart of his people. Part of this is an unfortunate thing that we get into the habit of where we sometimes value more the forms of church rather than the function of church. And the many times I've seen church splits, and it's not just in New Zealand, it's in every country I've worked in, and that's four of them, and it's really interesting that no matter what culture, language you speak, we all seem to have the same hang-ups. I guess that's why we're called human. 
But the splits happen over worship music or not enough programs or we're not outreaching enough or we're not doing this or we're not dressed this way or that way or maybe communion's not happening every week. All these things are forms, not necessarily functions. What is the function of the church? Just take a moment to kind of think about it in your head. Now, while you're thinking about what you think the function of the church is, I want to ask you, what was the function of the temple? For those of you who might have a little bit of an understanding of the Old Testament temple, which was also there in the New Testament, what was its function? It was threefold, three things. The temple and what I would say today's church the function of it is. The first function of the temple was to reconcile humanity with God, the sacrifice, to bring humans back in connection with God. That is the first and foremost function of the temple. When you walked into the temple, the first thing you'll see was a big brazier. You'll see the huge temple and everything, but right in front of it where the sacrifices were made on behalf of the people. We believe that now is Jesus Christ, right? Second part was worship. He stood, God's house was right in the middle of town, right in the middle amongst all the people. It was about worshipping him. He got prime land, not us. He got the view, not us. Our view is of him. That was the point of the temple. And if you ever get a chance to go to Jerusalem, the the Jerusalem Museum has got this incredible kind of town plan of what ancient Jerusalem looked like. And right in the middle, you can't miss it, the temple. Right there, standing. I mean, it's just boom, right there. It's kind of like going to France, right? Anyone been to Paris? It's almost like every angle you could see the top of the Eiffel Tower. Or if you go to Rome, every building has to be lower than eight eight stories. Why? Because you can't be higher than the cupola of St. Peter's. It's the same with God's temple. Stood out. Worship. And lastly, it was discipleship. It was a place where they got instructions, where they learned about God, where they learned about what he's done, who he is, and what he'll do. And those brings out, those three Functions of the church bring out three important aspects. First of all, confession. Because if we know that God's about reconciliation, like Charles said this morning, we seek forgiveness because we are broken. We we aren't right. Look at where the world is at. We can't fix it. And the more we try to fix it, we make more of a mess of it. That's why my wife doesn't let me do any building projects in the house. I'm sounding pretty useless. I can't run 400 meters. I can't fix a house. I'm just... Praise be to God, you're here, Lord. I'm broken. Don't leave me alone with wooden nails. I can make a real mess. But that's the same with all of us. Confession. That's what reconciliation brings out. So when was the last time you came to church and just laid everything that is broken and wrong about you before God? because the Jews did it daily. 
That's what the temple was about. They came in, they laid their brokenness. They had to buy a lamb, a sheep that had to carry the sins of myself. You know, no, we've got Jesus now. Reconciliation, key aspect, brings about confession. Worship brings about love. I can tell you, I'm being cynical and I don't know how much I should be hammering you on this, but I can tell when someone truly loves and when they don't. When they tell me I don't like the worship music, you know what I tell them? It's not about you. And so when couples who are having problems, they come to me and tell me, oh, this, my, my husband, my wife, they do that. It's not about them, it's about you. How are you acting towards that? That's what worship is actually about. It's not what songs we actually sing. It's your attitude when you're here. And one of the biggest problems I have in churches is we split churches over music, over worship. That is a sign of bad love. The moment you're able to just give yourself to God and worship him how he wants to be worshipped, not how you feel, you're experiencing selfless love. And it's not easy. Any of you in here who have been married for quite a number of years, you can tell the person next to you it wasn't all that easy. There are a lot of times when it's about selfish love. So each week we're reminded, worshipping God, it's not about me, it's not what about I like, it's not about what time in the morning I've got to come, it's about love. Loving him selflessly. And lastly, discipleship is about understanding, growing, getting deeper and deeper into who he is. Because they all bring about purpose. Purpose and hope. Now, I'm not saying the forms of the church aren't important. Sacraments, I think, are important, but I still think they're a form, not a function. Jesus didn't rip the guy off the, off the cross and baptize him before he allowed him into heaven. And I know I'm a Baptist, so I take baptism seriously. And I take communion seriously. But they are forms. There are times in which you cannot baptize. Does that mean you don't go to heaven? Well, some Christians believe that. And I have a hard time with that. You don't worship the forms. The forms are a part of us. They are not the it of us. God is the it. God is the all. Reconciling humanity to him through Jesus Christ is all. Worshiping him, largest book in the Bible, and it's very repetitive, by the way. Anyone read Psalms? Oh, my goodness. I get up to Psalm 8, and I'm like, okay, I've read this like five times now. David, can you kind of change things up a little bit? But wait till you get to Psalm 130. But the moment you understand love, all of a sudden, each and every one of those words are precious. Each and every one of those words speak directly to you. 
and they are deeply powerful. And then discipleship, our intentionality of, of growing in him. God gets this. He gets that this is a difficult ride. He's talking to his Jewish people and he's saying, guys, I, I actually understand this. The next verse, he actually breaks this down. He goes, now be strong. Be strong. He, says, he doesn't say it once. He doesn't say it twice. He says it three times, be strong. You can do this. Be strong. Don't get down over this. Yeah, it's not going to be as big as you want it to be, but I don't care about that. Yeah, you know what? You are broken and you don't know how to build things. That's okay, Rob. And don't try the 400 meter. I know that you'll end up coming closer to me with it because you'll be dying. But I, I kind of don't want you to do that. Just, just be strong. Be strong, leader of the people. Be strong, high priest. All the people of the land, be strong, declares the Lord. And work. I love that word. Work. Just get to it. Don't stress over these things. Don't divide over these things. Don't argue over these things. Just get to work. For I am with you, says, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. What a word of encouragement that is, eh? They're hearing it out the back there. He's trying to run the 400 meters right now. Be strong, be strong, be strong and work, for I am with you, do not fear. They don't know what the temple's gonna look like 300 years from that day. They have no idea. But it will be about 10 times bigger than what they start. 10 times bigger by the time it gets to the birth of Jesus. This temple that they're all crying over, worrying over, stressing over, fighting over. It's not big enough. Those were the good old days. God says, just be strong, work. I'm with you, don't fear. And if we put it in today's aspect, hey, the church is struggling and I've got a lot of people out there telling me I need to do this, I need to do that, we should have these programs running, we should be doing this, we should be planning churches, we should be evangelizing more because the church has got to grow. And the only word I'm hearing is this, be strong, be strong, be strong. Work, for I'm with you, do not fear. Amen. This is the word of the Lord from the book of Haggai. A little prophet known as a minor prophet. But once you read it, you don't think of it as minor anymore, eh? Speaks to us and who we are and where we're at today. I'm looking at the clock and thinking, 20 minutes, really? There you go. I can do 400 meters. <laughs> I asked the music team to come up. And, and as you reflect on today's word, 
I do want to challenge you. What forms are taking over the functions in your life? Because your main function is really quite simple, to honour God in everything you do. The church functions to bring about reconciliation, confession, to worship God, our God, and to grow deeper in him. That, that's, that's it. I was actually, who was I talking to? Grant, Grant Pepper, I don't think Grant's in today. Grant and I were talking last night, and I was talking about my plane collection. And sorry, I, I've got an extra few minutes because I'm going <laughs> to go around another lap. Um, we're talking about, I've got this amazing plane collection at home. And he was talking about, he's got a, an RC collection at home. And we're worried, I was worried, that when I die, who's going to really want my plane collection? I, I know a couple of you might, but I'm pretty certain my kids and my wife are not going to want them. And so I spend my whole life collecting planes that won't come with me when I die. But what will come with me? Would I put as much effort in my relationship with God as I do in collecting my planes? Or in the amount of hours I put in working? Or in the amount of hours I play Xbox? That's the challenge. Father God, I pray. Thank you, first of all, for your prophet Haggai and forgive us, Lord, that we tend to not look at those books that often. Those minor prophets are kind of squeezed in there somewhere before the New Testament and who knows what with really weird names and stuff. Forgive us, Lord, that, that we, we, we just ignore the powerful message that you speak through them and how they speak to us today. And so I pray, Lord, I pray that you do challenge us. You know, what, what, what forms are taken over our lives and rather the function of our lives is to, is to find purpose in you, to follow you, to worship you, to grow in you. And as a church, your church, Lord, to be a confessing, worshipping and growing, not, not physically, but spiritually church. You know, your people, Lord. Challenges, Father, as we go out today and as we wake up tomorrow because who knows what we'll remember from the day before. So Holy Spirit, we trust in you to lead us, to convict us and tweak our hearts. In Jesus' name.